Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. He's good to us today. Uh, we start a new series. Um, I mentioned on our church page that to me, this is one of the probably most important discipleship lessons uh, in our series that uh, we have, especially for this, this group of series for the summer. But uh, even just for all of them, it seems like this would have been a good lesson at the very beginning because it, it defines, these next few lessons will help define in our minds what it is to be a disciple and why that's important. And it's not just important uh, to the church, it's very important to Jesus that we be disciples, not just believers, uh, but to be a disciple. And we're going to figure out through these lessons, we're going to listen to what the Lord says about us being his disciple. The title of these lessons is The Posture of a Disciple. And today we will talk about everyone, everyone is a disciple. Let's, while you're standing, I'll read this verse of scripture, Luke 6 and verses 39 and 40. The Lord was talking to his disciples and he spake a parable unto them. And he asked a question, can the blind lead the blind? You got to know, got to have, you know, some kind of perception of where you're going and what you're doing. Uh, you can't just say, I, I believe, and then think that's going to work. That's the answer to everything because it's not. Uh, the blind, can they lead each other? Because if, he says, shall they not both fall into the ditch? No matter, they could have the best of intentions. I intend to take you to the right place. I want to lead you to the right place. But if the blind lead the blind, the Lord said it, they both fall into the ditch. Uh, you've got to have some kind of perception, some understanding, some revelation, a vision of who you are and what you're doing. And then the Lord said in verse 40, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect, and that word means to be thoroughly complete, uh, so, so everyone that will be complete, whole, thorough, shall be as his master. And so today we're going to talk about everyone is a disciple. Let's lift our hands and pray for the word today, the lesson. Lord, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, today I pray that we will do as you have instructed and take up our cross and follow you. Lord, help us to learn from this word. Let it find good ground in our heart so we can fulfill the purpose that you've designed for us. We ask it today in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Give the Lord a hand for his word this morning. Hallelujah. Thankful for the word of God. Appreciate him. You can be seated this morning. The posture of a disciple, everyone that is including... Uh, your brothers and sisters to the left or right of you, your, your children are going to have to be disciples. Um, your neighbors should be disciples. Your co-workers should be disciples. But who's going to make them a disciple? The lesson idea for this uh, first lesson is that to become mature disciples of Jesus Christ, we must make the choice to follow him. So 
there's going to be growth in the choice that you make to follow Jesus. He didn't say uh, get older. He said mature. And there's a difference because people get older just as time goes by, but they don't always mature. You ever seen some grown-ups? You say, man, they act childish. <laughs> they just hadn't matured. I know that there's people I went to school with that still act like they did when they were in school. They have not matured out of that lifestyle. Paul said that when I was a child, I did childish things, spake as a child, but, uh, but now I put away childish things. I've matured past uh, that place in my life. And in our walk with God, it's not enough to say I have been in church for 20 years. Have you matured? Have you learned anything? Have you grown in the Lord? Have you uh, developed? Um, when you mature, you develop. You know, uh, as a child matures, not just as he grows older, because you could lock him in a pen and let him just grow and grow and grow, never learn how to walk, never learn how to talk, never learn how to uh, use his hands and do things. He, he's not maturing. He's just getting older and growing. It's a sad case of affairs if we find ourselves just sitting in a church but not maturing, that we could say, oh, I haven't missed a day in 30 years, but did you learn anything? Did it change you? Did your maturity is a change. As a, a human, a boy or a girl, as they grow, uh, naturally their bodies mature. They change. They don't look the same as they did when they were a baby, when they were a child. And now there's growth and change, and uh, along with that change, you have to behave differently. You know, uh, you, you, you can't, uh, a little child will reach up, hey, pick me up and carry me, but if you're 17, don't ask me to pick you up and carry you. You're not a baby anymore. You should have gotten past that. You need to mature in the Lord. And uh, I will say this, that every believer is not mature, but a disciple is because there's a difference. Uh, you can believe in something and not follow it. But if you're a disciple, you're following. When uh, the, the power of making disciples is so strong that uh, when we read in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 19, Paul, who is now a disciple of the Lord, uh, becoming a disciple is such a strong pull that it changed him from what he was so adamant about in the law that now... the church that he once persecuted, he now promoted and preached. But he finds a group of people in Acts 19, and they were John's disciples, the disciples of John the Baptist. And when you read that in Acts 19, you, you probably don't realize the timeline, but at that point, John the Baptist had been dead for 20 years. So two decades had gone by, and they were still holding on to John's baptism. They were disciples of John the Baptist. Nothing wrong with that. He was the forerunner. He was preaching what needed to be done. And so they had spent time. They had uh, been 20 years disciples of his. And now Paul shows up and um, begins to tell them, uh, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And, well, we haven't heard if there be a Holy Ghost. I don't think they meant, uh, I don't believe that it was insinuating that they had never heard of the Holy Ghost because if they believed John's teachings, they knew that one was coming that would baptize them with the Holy Ghost and fire, but they were in a place where they had not experienced that yet, and so Paul said, how were you baptized 
we were baptized unto John's baptism. So 20 years later, they're still holding on to the same thing because they're his disciples. But when Paul began to uh, preach to them and told them about Jesus, it says, then they were baptized in the name of the Lord and he laid his hands upon them and they received the Holy Ghost and they began to be followers of Jesus Christ. They began to be followers of Paul. Paul was now like uh, their new rabbi because, uh, and that's okay because he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so they had somebody else's teachings now to follow and they, they were now maturing in what they had believed in. Uh, but just to show how strong the pull is, if somebody becomes a disciple, a follower, it gets ingrained in them and they will stick with it. And then these men, when they see uh, that there's something else new, something else that's true, when they realized that uh, they were, it's time to mature, it's time to change, it's time to grow, uh, they believed the gospel message uh, was received the new birth according to Scripture and now they become disciples of Jesus Christ. But the only way they know now to become a disciple of his is to follow the teachings of Paul, who is a disciple. You see, Jesus is not making disciples anymore. He's not. We are. It's the job of the church to make disciples. We can't lay that on him. This is our job. And... Uh, so, uh, you know, as we move forward, we're going to find out, like, what does it mean to, or am I just a believer, or am I becoming a disciple? The one key fact and one key word that applies here to, uh, that requires us uh, to transition from a believer to a disciple is obedience. I said it earlier, a believer can believe in something, he doesn't have to obey it. We, we do it every day, most of us anyway. I believe it's speed limit's 55, but I'm not going 55. <laughs> I don't see no police. Yeah, well, that's true. I believe that's the law. When you get pulled over and he's writing that ticket, you know, I believe you. <laughs> uh, I just wasn't obeying it. I'm not a disciple of the speed limit. But when you read, uh, like I say, and think about how John had made these disciples and, and how powerful it is when someone makes a disciple, uh, it lasts. There's something there. You see, we think that, well, I, I've told somebody this and they believed it, but how come they don't come to church? Have we helped disciple them? Not just taught them one Bible study, pointed some scriptures out, and then say, okay, let's see what happens. Have we spent time with them? Have we... Uh, walked with them? Have we, uh, you know, shared with them, prayed with them? Have we denied ourselves to help them come along? Are we making disciples out of people? Jesus wants us to be a disciple. In the scripture, he defined what it meant, not just by his actions, the way he walked, but by what he said as far as us being disciples. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 26 the Lord said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children, brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, uh, he doesn't mean hate in the sense, and you know this, but I'll say it just in case you've wondered. He doesn't mean that you have to turn against these people. 
but you have to be willing to uh, not set these relationships above your relationship with him. If you put anybody else above God, you can't be his disciple. If you put your own life above serving God, you can't be his disciple. He said, it's going to change your relationship status with people to be my disciple. And if we can't handle that, then we may just be a believer and never make it to the point of being a disciple. He said, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, a disciple without a cross is no disciple. You know what the cross is? It is a, it's, not a, it's not a bumper sticker. And it's not a symbol to show everybody who you belong to. The cross is an instrument of death. It is signifying uh, to you, first off, that I have decided I will die to this world and to the things of this world that I might follow the Lord. Paul said it, I've counted all the things that were gained to me. I counted them loss so that I could obtain and so I could uh, follow Christ and push forward for Christ. And then he says in verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. So he, he placed an expectation on them that uh, you would be, have to be willing, if it came down to it, that you would give up everything for him. Now, we hate to think about that ever happening, but even Peter in that day said uh, to the Lord in one place, he said, we have forsaken all to follow you. What shall we have? So when men walked away from their livelihood to follow him, they walked away from their families. And I don't know how many weeks or months or years at a time, Peter, you know, they were, the Lord was only here for walking openly for, uh, you know, three to three and a half years. But how many times during that, were these guys ever at home or saw their kids? You know, until really you don't even read about them doing anything related to their first jobs until toward the, uh, after Jesus has already uh, resurrected and come back and, he, and Peter and them decide, hey, let's go fishing again. And, you know, they were just going fishing, I think, just for sport or just maybe to get a little something to eat. It didn't, I don't think he was picking up his old job, but and then the Lord called them to the beach and he had fish on the fire, and he fed them, and he said, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter looks around and sees John walking. He says, what's this guy going to do? He said, what's that to you? He said, you follow me. You keep being my disciple. You keep following me. You keep doing what I want you to do. Another thing that Jesus requires of us as disciples is to make other disciples. In Matthew 28 and 19, he told us that we should go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Of course, we know that's the name of Jesus Christ. And so he said, you've got to go and make disciples of every nation. You're going to go to people that are lost. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody you see that you know they don't go to church, that you go up and grab them and shake them, pull on their head, and, and maybe even initially teach a Bible study because you can start showing the love of God and friending somebody and being a mentor to somebody and helping them to see 
how a person who follows the Lord lives. You know, that's how you become a fisher of men. There's a, a, a lure. You know, there's something that catches their attention. Man, there's something different about you, and that opens the door. And you can start telling them about your testimony and how God changed you and how you have become a disciple of Jesus Christ because you follow him and you follow his teachings. And, and you had people that helped you and showed you, and now you just help them and show them. And you teach people to follow the Lord. It's not enough to just hand out cards. That's good. It's not enough to just give out bottles of water and food to the hungry. That's good. But are we making disciples of them? Are we feeding people natural food, giving them natural water to drink, and not giving them the living water or the bread of life? Are we making disciples of people? Jesus walked in and he, he got 12 of them. He had many other people that followed, but there was a one point, got too hard, they all fell off. They started walking away from him. But his 12, he spent time with them, he talked to them, he taught them, he corrected them, he did perform miracles in their sights, did all kind of things for them to make them disciples. And then he said, now you go and make disciples. Jesus is not walking in the flesh on this earth calling people away from their jobs anymore. But we are empowered with the Holy Ghost. And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We've got power. And then he said, and you're going to be witnesses unto me in all these nations, in all the world. We're not just, you know, we talk about letting our light shine, and we, we have decided that that just means stand still, turn on the light, and I don't have to do anything else. But letting our light shine means investing in people, reaching for people. You can't just invite them and then say, well, that, my, my part of the job's done. I've told people that before. I said, you know, invite people to church. I said, but if everybody in here invites one person and says, okay, pastor, we brought you, brought you 100 more people, get them ready. It's not my job to get them all ready. I've got to make disciples. You've got to make disciples. Sheep make sheep. Right? So it's up to us to, to not just invite somebody to the church, but once they start coming, spend time with them. Talk to them, love them, pray for them. You know, just spend something. You might spend a whole afternoon with them and maybe not even talk about the Bible because you're trying to show them that you love them even if they don't believe everything you believe, even if they don't know everything you know but you've got to get them there some way. Not a single one of the 12 knew anything about Jesus till he said, follow me. And then it was three and a half years of learning who he is. And many times he said he would rebuke them for their faithlessness. He would remind them, don't you remember uh, the bread, how I fed the multitude and you still don't see? And he told them, your ears are dull of hearing, your eyes are dull of seeing. But there came a point finally where Peter realized and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Finally. And then even after that, he turned around and rebuked the Lord. Discipleship is an ongoing process. You don't, reach a, you don't graduate from being a disciple till he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so uh, our, the expectation that the Lord has for us, remember we said the difference between a believer and a disciple is obedience. 
The Lord said in John 14 and 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. The word keep there means obey. So if you love me, obey my commandments. You know, it's a big thing today for people to take little tests with their uh, spouse, and they say, what's your love language? And guys are like, oh, I want to take that test. You know, but, you know, they want to figure that out. So how, how do we, you know, how compatible are we, and, and what's your love language? You know, is it affirmation? Is it touch? You know, things like that. Well, we know what the love language of the Lord is to us. It's a sacrifice. He's, he's loved us from the very beginning, and he gave his life. The Lord laid down his life for his friends. Greater love is no man than this. We know his love language, but our love language to him is obedience. If you love me, keep or obey my commandments. So if we're not, uh, you know, the way he knows that we love, we like, oh, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. And you can say I love you all day long, but how does he know you love him? Just because you said it or because he sees you keeping his commandments. It's just like uh, you can tell someone in your life every day, hey, I love you, but are you showing that? Because you can say it, but your actions, are the, is, do your actions prove it? We have to uh, keep his commandments. If we really love him, we will. And it won't be hard. It won't be a burden. It won't be like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. No, I love him so much that I don't mind doing anything. His word, his commandments are not grievous to me. They are a blessing to me because I realize the, what happens to the believer, uh, to the disciple when he obeys the Lord. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. That's what the Lord said. So the idea, though, of making disciples, that the idea that making disciples was optional for New Testament believers, never occurred to the first century followers of Christ. When you start reading the book of Acts, you'll see that believers, not, just, not even by name, but believers were making disciples. That believers were reaching out to other people, and, and they were uh, uh, doing the work that God had commanded them to do. They were following the Great Commission. But somewhere along the way, Modern Christianity bought into the false notion that only a small little group of saints that are in the local church, they're, they're the ones that are leashed to the Great Commission. But to believe that means that you think only missionaries or extroverts or radical saints are the ones that get to make disciples. The rest of us just get to let our light shine and, and maybe sing in the choir or, or you, know, uh, you know, do outreach or teach Sunday school. Every believer, according to Scripture, is a disciple, and every disciple is a disciple maker. You know what a tree will do? It'll produce another tree just like it. Yeah, I've got persimmon trees at my house. There's one huge one. I'm sure it's the oldest one there. You can tell by the size of it, the, uh, the way it uh, grows, that, that it's the oldest one there. You know what's all around it? Baby persimmon trees going to grow up to be just like it. The scripture said, we are trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. He didn't uh, use that just because, hey, that sounds good. He could call us rocks of righteousness if he wanted to, anything. But there's a reason for that. Because if we're trees, we're going to bear fruit. 
And if we bear fruit, that fruit has seed in itself. And then that seed will produce another tree just like it so it can produce fruit. The idea that we are trees of righteousness means we are disciple makers. It is up to us to reach the world. And we do it through the power of him and through the power of the Holy Ghost. But he's not walking around down here anymore. We are. He lives inside of us. Greater is he that is in you and in me than he that's in the world. And so we're the ones that are the walking, talking church of the living God. It's up to us to preach the gospel. And you don't have to have a license uh, or carry a card with any organization to preach the gospel. Whoever says that is wrong. If you have not been licensed, then you can't preach. That's ridiculous. Because you have a testimony. You have something to share. Jesus changed your life. Jesus worked on you. Jesus healed you, delivered you, set you free from something. It's up to you to tell that to somebody so it can change their life. And you can tell them about repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost too. You don't have to uh, bring them to me and say, okay, I don't have enough time in the day to tell everybody that you would bring to me. That's why it's the church's job to make disciples. In the last several years, the the apostolic movement has rediscovered the first century reality that every believer is a minister or that they do ministry. You know, we've made minister a noun. It's a person. But minister is a verb. Yeah, and the ministry... And the word of reconciliation has been given to all of us. Yeah, it has. And so when you read in uh, like Acts 8 and 4, it says all believers served uh, and all believers went every, all believers went everywhere preaching the word. That's in Acts 8 and 4. You'll find that in all believers baptized people. You know that? You give a Bible study to somebody and they say, I'm ready to be baptized. You don't have to call the pastor unless you're just in a really bad place and you know you ain't serving God. But I don't know why you'd be teaching a Bible study to somebody if you weren't. I mean, you need to be right with God. You need to be a disciple. In other words, you need to be being obedient to God and following him. But hey, you know what? What if I'm out of town? Well, he won't be back for three weeks. Like I'll ever be gone for three weeks, but. So when he gets back, we'll do that. No, you know what? Fill your bathtub up with water. Take them to a creek. Go to the YMCA and jump in the swimming pool. Go to a hotel. Say, hey, we just want to look around, sneak into the swimming pool and dunk them in the water. Just you do it. I had somebody not too long ago that they were, last year, they were bringing people over here, calling every day just about for a week. Hey, so-and-so wants to get baptized. I just got home. I said, do you have a key? I do. Then go in there and baptize them because I'm not turning around and coming back. I just got home. And that's fine. It works just as good as if I did it. (laughs) It works just as good as if Peter did it because Holy Ghost-filled children of God can baptize people and pray them through. If you can pray them through to the Holy Ghost, why can't you baptize them? 
Oh, I was praying with them. They got the Holy Ghost. Why are you scared to put them in the water? Come on, somebody. Yeah. If every disciple starts making disciples, we ain't got a building big enough. We can't build a building big enough. It'll have to get so big, and finally we'll have to have five services a day if every single disciple started making disciples, and then disciples start making, making disciples. What's going to happen? We're going to see revival that you don't even have a word for except book of Acts. Listen, when we read Acts 2 and 41, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Now, that's on that day, on the day of Pentecost, on that day. That means that they were, these 3,000 were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost on that day. Now, the Holy Ghost fell before 9 o'clock that morning. Peter preaches his first message, uh, and I don't know how long you, we read it. I'm sure it was a little longer than the reading. And then 3,000 are added to the church. Some point while he's preaching or after he's preaching, people are receiving the Holy Ghost. During the message, after the message, they're receiving the Holy Ghost. Now they start getting baptized because they have no idea about, about that until he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There is no way, no way that only Peter reached those 3,000 people but the message was being delivered. They might not have even been 3,000 people right there immediately, but the one that got it turned around and went home and told his family. And somebody told their friend, and somebody went across town to the restaurant and drug their buddy out and said, hey, you got to hear this. What are you talking about? And they started telling them. And people are receiving the Holy Ghost, and now it's time to start getting baptized. And if only the 12 disciples were baptizing if it took them five minutes for every baptism, it would have taken them over 20 hours. And that's if they're doing it back to back. And that can't happen because the Jewish day ends at 6 o'clock in the evening. And so all this had to happen between 9 and 6. But there they've discovered, archaeologists have uncovered at the base of the temple uh, on the south side of the temple, there are several large uh, ceremonial baptismal pools that uh, the Jew, Jews use. They're called mikvahs, and that's where they think that these 3,000, where the baptisms started, and these 3,000 were baptized in Jesus' name. But it wasn't just because the 12 was doing it. I'm telling you, there was husbands baptizing wives, and there was wives baptizing kids, and there was friends baptizing friends. People were baptizing their grandparents and everything else. And, and I don't know how many, uh, maybe Peter and them just stepped back said, have at it. We, we got it rolling and we ain't got to do nothing now. Let's just keep moving. Maybe that's why Paul said, uh, you know, I can't hardly think of anybody I've ever baptized. Because once I preach it, once it happens in your life, you start doing it. I'm preaching. Why don't you baptize them? Disciples make disciples. And let me tell you something. We, we love to say we are a book of Acts church. We love to say that we are, 
you know, we love looking at the, the things that happened in the book of Acts, and we're like, man, I want to see those kind of days again where those kind of numbers are being recorded and these kind of things happening, miracles and signs and wonders. But we will not see first century results until we have first century behavior. We will not have book of Acts church until we have book of Acts behavior. Yeah. You can't expect nothing. There you can't. Uh, hey, guess what? You, you don't get Book of Acts Church from believing one scripture in Romans. You don't have Book of Acts Church from believing one scripture in the gospel. You have Book of Acts Church by doing what Jesus told them to do. He said, go and preach repentance and remission of sin in my name beginning in Jerusalem. That's what they did. The fire started. The Holy Ghost fell, and people were now being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And it was not just the 12 and then Paul being added and Timothy being added and Silas being added. They weren't the only ones preaching. There were people, there are so many preachers that are never named in the Scripture. Men and women of God that were carrying the gospel under threat of death in some points of it, but willing to do it because they were disciples of Jesus Christ and they were converting whole cities. They were turning the world upside down and that's what it took being disciples. There's a lot more to being a disciple than just, hey, that's a cool name. I'm a disciple of Jesus. You're not and I'm not and we're not and the church is not if we're not making disciples praying for miracles, praying for revival. Well, why do we want revival? Just so those that are saved can feel better about themselves and, and, and make it another day? Or do we want revival so that people can be snatched from the jaws of hell so that their lives can be changed and they can follow Jesus and they can hear him say, well done. I know that I've been born again. But I know for everyone that's born again, there's hundreds and thousands and possibly millions that have not been born again. And if we don't reach them, who's going to reach them? Because there's not going to be a heavenly host of angels hitting this planet, going around making disciples. God empowered us. We are the church of the living God. And it is time for us to take the next step that every believer is a disciple who obeys Jesus' command to go and make more disciples. We cannot shrug this off any longer. We cannot put this on somebody else any longer. It's got to be realized. It's got to be a revelation that we catch uh, that we are going to see Book of Acts apostolic revival when we start doing Book of Acts behavior. Making disciples should not be viewed as one of the many ministries in a local church. Making disciples is not a department in the church like music or Sunday school. In ministry such as these, saints of God will find a place to serve, become involved. But when it comes to making disciples, according to the founder of the church, it cannot be relegated to a department or a one-off ministry. Some saints feel satisfied that making disciples is not their calling or their gifting. I know people like that. You know people like that. Oh, I, I, you know, I can't witness. I can't talk to people. And so somebody else will do that. I, I'm going to be... Everybody's got a testimony. Everybody's got a mouth. And we have to learn to get past. You think Peter ever decided, he spent his time in a boat fishing. You think he ever thought, I'm going to stand up in the middle of all these Jewish uh, uh, leaders and, and tell them that they have crucified the Lord and Christ and then tell them what to do? 
See these hands? Can you smell me? I'm a fisherman. Didn't matter because they were empowered by the Lord to do it, and it worked. And no matter how little we think of ourselves, God knows the power that you have to reach somebody else. To think that we can find other areas in the church to serve and exercise gifts is, is the wrong way to think. We should use our giftings in the church, and those are great, but uh, our giftings that we have that has nothing to do with the call to make disciples. In Romans 12, there's a list of seven gifts of the Spirit, but disciple-making is not listed as a gift of the Spirit because it doesn't have to have, the gift of the Spirit doesn't have to operate for you to make a disciple. That's why it's not. It's, uh, it's not. It doesn't require gifting. It's not a functional ministry within the members of the body. All these gifts are for building up and edifying the body of Christ, but making disciples is the mandate of the mission that Jesus gave to all born-again believers to tell somebody about the Lord, tell somebody about Jesus. Every professing Christian may not be a disciple, but every disciple is a genuine Christian. Yep, because when we think of the Christian faith, we are typically mindful of what Christ did for us, but when we consider discipleship, we are focused on what we are doing for Christ. And we've, he's already done the work for us. What are we doing for him? You see, a Christian can attend Sunday worship, come to church, and then have no other expectations on their calendar through the rest of the week. I'll see you next Sunday. I'll see you next Sunday. You'll see who? The saints I worship with every week. But a disciple does his best work Monday through Saturday. I've said it before. Monday through Saturday, we're just getting ready for Sunday. We should be spending those days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, getting ready for this day so that somebody can be blessed and come to the Lord. You can't punch a clock on your Christianity. Yeah, I, I, I make it on, I, yeah, you know, my shift is Sundays. Some people work Monday, Wednesday, Sunday. I do Sundays. Sometimes I do Wednesday and Sunday. That's just like punching a time clock at a job that you don't think about it until it's time to be there. Because when I used to get off work, I didn't think about work until it was time to get up and go the next day. I don't want to not think about church again until Saturday. I don't want to not think about the lost all week long, come in here, praise the Lord, thank him for what he did for me, and then not share this with anybody else. Not make a disciple. How many times if we would just take a little time during the week, meet somebody for lunch, meet them for coffee, you know, call them, talk to them something, make a disciple, spend some time with them, help them to become a follower of Jesus so they can help somebody become a follower of Jesus so they can help somebody become a follower of Jesus. If you're a disciple, it will rearrange your life. And if we're not in for that, if we don't want that, then we're just going to be believers but discipleship will change your life because you can't follow him and be the same. 
You can believe in him and stay just like you are, but you cannot follow Jesus and stay the same. He said it. I know you're fishing now, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. That's totally different. It's completely different, Peter. You don't know it yet, but you'll see. And Peter uh, spends less and less time over the next three years on a boat because he's following the footsteps of the Lord. I know I'm running, running out of time here. There is a place where Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon, but neither can we serve God in the world, God in our flesh, or God in our own idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In Luke 14, as we just read, Jesus made it clear that his followers would need to be or to subordinate every other relationship to him, even our own lives, that they would be required to forsake all and follow him, that they would be required to take up their cross if they wanted to be his disciples. Any one of those things he said that if we don't do, then he, at the end of it he said, you cannot be my disciple. This is the requirement for being my disciple. And so we lose our life for him. And we think, well, I did that when I, I repented and was baptized and that, that changed my life. But that can't be all that it means because we could do that. We could repent, get baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost and do nothing. How have I lost my life for him? How have I laid down my life for him if all I did was take what he gave me and then I did nothing else? That is not losing my life for him. When you look at Jesus, you realize he gave up his life for us. He, the Bible says that a man you know, gives a life expectancy of 70 years. Well, he gave up over half of his life expectancy. He didn't pursue his vocation as a carpenter. He never had a wife or children. He followed what, G, what God wanted him to do, and he went to the cross, and he gave his life, and he laid his life down, and he spent time with people, and he went and sat down and ate with them, and he went out into the wilderness with them, and he prayed for them, and he healed them and delivered them and gave them hope. He used himself up for this world. He said, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Then we have to reconsider what we're thinking. It's got to be more than just a new birth experience that doesn't mean I have lost my life. To lay down my life, to lose my life for him, uh, it will be, I've got to give up my life for others just as he did. I've got to give up our life for the lost people that God places in my life. We all have lost people in our life and then help make disciples of them. You give up personal prayers for prayers over these lost people. Sometimes you may give up personal finances, so you can take them to lunch or dinner or, or coffee. We give up our calendar time, including evenings and Saturdays, so we can spend time with them instead of staying home and just doing our own thing. I know we say, well, I work all week, and man, I've got to have some me time. But what if my me time causes somebody to miss an opportunity to be saved? What if I am taking so much me time that I miss my disciple, that I miss an opportunity to, to pour into somebody that I, I, they wanted to meet today, but man, I've got to have a, a day off. 
I know we have to recharge, and I know there's got to be balance. We've got to let our moderation be known in all things. I understand that. But God help us not to get selfish and bury our talent and hide behind uh, oh, the excuse of, oh, I've just got to have some me time, and somebody is going to miss out on heaven if we don't get busy about making disciples. I'm getting ready to close, honey. You can come on up. Jesus is praying in, in John 17, and this is before, of course, before he is taken away, before he goes to Calvary, any of that stuff. And I know something that he realized, that the cost of making disciples is high, but the cost of not making disciples is much higher for those that we do not spend time with. Somebody's looking for us. Somebody's looking for somebody to speak into their life. But in John 17, in verse 4, the Lord prayed and he said, I have finished the work. He hadn't been to Calvary. He hadn't died yet. He had not been resurrected. So how can he say that I finished the work? What is it? He's got to be talking about something else because he wasn't done yet. There was no bloodshed yet. But then when you read down in that prayer, because most of his time praying, he was always interceding for his disciples. In John 17 and 11, he, he says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And then he said in verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. So it appears that the work he referred to as being finished was the work of making these disciples. So how can we say our work on earth here is finished? What if the Lord tears another 50 years and you live those 50 years? Is your work done now just because you've been born again? Maybe our work's not done until we make disciples. There's no number. I mean, I got to make 50 disciples before the Lord comes back. There's no number. But you ought to be able to turn around and look at somebody and realize that's my disciple. I poured into them. I preached to them. I've led them. I've been an example. I've counseled them. I've prayed with them. I've taught them. I've, you know, something. More than just, hey, I invited them to church. A couple of Monday nights ago, we got to see Marley be filled with the Holy Ghost. precious and just so happened that night that sister brandy was here and she was sitting they were all right there on the front row and she was sitting right there and now sister brandy if you don't know when she started she was one of the first people to come here back in the old building but she was the first person filled with the holy ghost after we started the church and so i went to her while marley was there praying and speaking in tongues and i said you see what you started First it was you, then it was Jamie, and then there's Amber, and there's Scotty, Elena, Major, Mark, Sister Beverly, Brother Carl, 
you know, all you got to do is be an example. Let your testimony out. It'll start the ball rolling. And I don't believe he's done yet. If we ever, ever get your daughter in here, Sister Beverly, we ever get Sister Sherry in here, she's done for. God's going to get her. I told Brandon, I said, he ain't done yet. I said, there's still a mama left and a stepdaddy left. There's, there's people left. So I'm just trusting that God's going to do that. But, but if she were to quit, what kind of fallout would there be? You don't quit. You don't quit church. You don't quit reaching. You don't quit being a disciple. You don't quit making disciples. Keep reaching for somebody. Hey, guess what? Everybody's not going to listen. Everybody's not going to let you make them a disciple. But there's some that's ready. And you just keep going. God's not going to hold it against you. Hey, I know. They're hard-headed, stiff-necked, hard-hearted. They didn't want to do it. That's fine. You just keep moving. God will do the work. He'll help you with it. He empowered us to do it. So that's why I said this is this set of lessons is so important because we have got to, you know, we've, we've tried to figure out, man, how come we're praying and this is not happening? What's, what about why is this not happening? Why is this not working? We're going to start seeing book of Acts results when we have book of Acts behavior. That's when we're going to start seeing the things we want to see. Let's stand together this morning. And I hope that you'll just make it your prayer today as we pray, God, make me a disciple maker. Let's lift our hands and pray. Lord, I thank you for the example you have been. And Lord, the example that you left of how you made disciples. But Lord, now this is our job. This is what you have commissioned us to do, to go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so, Lord, today, every believer, Lord, in this room, put a word in their heart and put a word in their mouth for somebody, for some soul that's lost, that they could begin making a disciple in this world. Lord, we praise you for your mercy and grace and thank you for the ability to do these things. I know that you're going to help us. Let us be faithful workers together with you in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Hallelujah. I don't want to just be a disciple. I want to be a disciple maker. I want to be a disciple maker. God bless you. Let's remember, find a place to pray before the next service, and let's get ready for God to do some great things. God bless you.